Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor for Information Security Media Group, and I'm discussing a very high-profile series of attacks that have been attributed to an apparently well-financed group operating out of China that's known as Black Vine. I'm speaking with Vikram Thacker, a senior security researcher with Symantec and the author of a new report into Black Vine. Vikram, one of the group's most high-profile hacks was arguably of the health insurer Anthem. And a lot of people are asking, why hack Anthem and steal a reported 80 million records? I think that's a good question. And it's something unique about this group, at least as of today. We've been tracking the group for, I want to say, a few years at this point and looking at the different kind of activities that they've had across the years, some of which have already been discussed in the press maybe as of a couple of years ago, but all individually. What we've done in this report is we've kind of brought all those attacks together and attributed it to the umbrella that Blackline as a group have. Now, your question about why hack into a healthcare organization and steal 80 million records, very interesting. In the past, we've seen the same group attack other industries, but industries where uh, what they were trying to steal is very tangible. You can look at it, you can say, Well, if they're going to hack into the aerospace industry, chances are that they're going to steal some intellectual property and sell it to a buyer or sell it to a competitor of that industry and directly monetize with it. And we've seen this time and again across different industries that Blackvine has targeted. Come 2015, we see the news about the same group attacking and stealing 80 million healthcare records which is extremely strange because healthcare records are not something that somebody can directly monetize from. So it actually shows us a pattern. And from an analytical standpoint, we look at it as, hey, the first few years of this group's existence were about making money and proving their might. And finally, when they were able to prove their might to whoever they may have wanted to, ultimately, they were able to get a directive to go out and get certain data which the group itself may not have been able to monetize directly. So I think that's where the healthcare records come into play. So that's to show that the group itself is probably not using the data, but they're giving it to somebody else. And that somebody else is looking for either specific information pertaining to certain people under that healthcare provider or people who belong to a certain organization. But the data is definitely not going to be used as is. It's pretty evident that the data would need to be combined with something else in order to achieve the goals that the people behind the real attacks intended. So potentially, I've heard, for intelligence purposes, to correlate identities, perhaps, of people who are working undercover or who might be targeted for recruitment? These are possible scenarios. I mean, there's no evidence, or we don't have any evidence to show how they have already used it. But yes, I mean, that is definitely the case. They could also be using it for extortion. You know, if they know that somebody in a targeted organization of their choice has a condition which is somehow used as leverage against that entity, then maybe they can go out and extort something from that person as well. So there are multiple situations or multiple scenarios that one could conceive But the truth of the matter is we don't know conclusively how they've used it already or they plan to use it in the coming months. Can a group such as Black Vine be distinguished from what might be seen as a cyber crime oriented group versus what might be considered to be a cyber espionage sort of group? Or have you found that the two appear to cross over sometimes? That's a good question. Now, these groups, Black Vine and a number of other groups can easily be distinguished from typical cybercrime. 
However, there are very few situations where the two overlap. And we actually released a paper on one of them just a few weeks ago, but I'll not get into that. What distinguishes black line type activity from cyber criminals is very simple. It's money. On the cyber crime side, we see attacks which are purposely stealing something from the regular consumer's computers. Could be credentials for your social networking site, could be your credit cards or your credentials to your banking website. But it's very easy and it's very predictable because you know that, hey, uh, they're going after money and money is their motivation. If they get onto your computer and they don't see you using a bank's website or they don't see you ever entering your credit card, they'll abandon it and move on. So that's on the cyber crime side. On the espionage side, we see something completely different where they're not interested in credit cards, they're not interested in banking credentials, they're not interested in your email. All they want is the documents in your computer and to figure out where in the hierarchy of the organization you work in, you actually reside. So when we look at the malware, we look at the viruses and the worms that these people write, it's very easy to distinguish one from the other. One is literally trying to give control of the computer to the remote attacker. And on the other side, on the cybercrime side, we see all it's doing is looking for very specific financial information and sending that back to the attacker's infrastructure. So yes, very easily distinguishable. One of the interesting aspects of the research report that you just put out was the discussion of the Elderwood Project, the zero-day exploit sharing framework, which you saw Blackvine using, but you've also seen other groups using it. And I'm wondering, beyond the warning about zero-day attacks being used by this sort of group, are there any other conclusions that you can draw from that about how these groups are organized or funded or operating? So from an analytical standpoint, we get to see the effort put in by the attackers to conduct an attack, and that gives us an idea of the amount of resources that they have. We do not have any information about where the money may have been coming from or who particularly is funding these groups. In a similar vein, we get to see different threats attacking different industries on a daily basis, and so we can compare some of the different attacks which are happening. More specifically, we can compare the code within the malware which is being used in one attack versus another. And when we look at that, and we look at the timing of those attacks, it becomes pretty evident to us that, hey, group one had access to a certain exploit code on day one, and literally on day two, we could see groups two, three, four, and five also using very similar code. So we can draw our conclusions out there and say, well, group one probably paid for exclusive access to that code for 24 hours, and uh, the others probably paid a lower amount and got access to it on day two. And we can make these assessments just because of the vast volume of these threats that we guys are able to see. What ties them all together is literally the sharing of this kind of code. But that's also the same factor which distinguishes these groups from one another. The fact that group one or malware one was able to use that code only on day one exclusively distinguishes them now from groups two, three, and four who were all 24 hours later. So it's really just an analytical process by which we are able to distinguish one's activity from another. And when it came to the different sectors that you saw being targeted, energy, aerospace, healthcare, was there a demonstrable difference in how Blackvine was operating when it targeted any of those industries? Or was it pretty much using the same tricks 
It was using the exact same tricks, and that's one of the ways that we're able to group the activity seen across years under one umbrella. Blackvine itself has a pretty standard method of operating, regardless of the industry that they're going after. Plus, the malware that they use is almost exclusive. So we know exactly the tools that they have, we know the MO that they employ, and even part of the infrastructure that they use is very unique to just them. Uh, That makes it easy for us to bucket their activity with some pretty high confidence. Based on what you know, the fact that they're using zero days to target IE, they've targeted a few different industries. What do you recommend to organizations from a defense standpoint? What are they not doing now that they should be doing in order to learn from breaches that have been attributed to the group? Which, just to be clear, I think we're talking about Anthem, potentially also the OPM breach, right? We're not very certain if the OPM breach is an act of Blackvine. But nonetheless, I mean, it is the act of a group which is very close to Blackvine, if not Blackvine itself. Either way, the jury's kind of out on that front. But uh, coming back to your initial question, uh, the kind of advice that I'd give to organizations is employing a policy of least privilege. You know, don't allow everybody to access everything. Try to keep data access to exactly what the person's job function may be. I know this is very difficult in different sectors and different companies within the sectors, but at least that should be the primary goal. People use all sorts of different security measures to achieve that goal themselves, and uh, they're free to do so. But I think that is the way to be able to control the amount of data and, you know, worst case scenario, the amount of data which is getting leaked to an external company. See, the fact of the matter is we're all using technology in different ways. Some people use Internet Explorer. Some people may use another browser. Some people may use Java. And inevitably, there are certain bugs in that code which allow the attackers to sometimes do things which even a fully patched machine should not be doing. Now, those situations are very difficult to combat apart from outside of looking at a holistic security picture. So even in that situation, you need to imagine that, hey, okay, if I am going to get compromised, what are the ways that I minimize risk? So look at it even from that perspective, even though it might not be a very optimistic view, but some would argue that it's a pretty realistic view out there. And also, just to make the point, a lot of people obsess perhaps about whether an attack may have been launched by China or Russia or cyber criminals operating from those countries or from the US or some other country. But at the end of the day, good security practices are good security practices. I completely agree. And, you know, a lot of people talk about attacks coming from China versus Russia versus Turkey or some other country. But I think these people are only talking about it from a curiosity perspective and a finger-pointing perspective. If you speak to the security practicers, you'll see that, well, they might even be agnostic to who is attacking them. As long as they understand the capabilities of the attacker, they will be taking the exact same steps to protect their organization, regardless of the attackers coming from country one or two. I think it might be a lot more important for figuring out which country the attackers are coming from if somebody's in the government and wants to actually conduct some diplomatic business to reduce the activity which is coming in from one country or another. But nonetheless, for consumers on the street, it might actually even be a moot point about which country is targeting their data. At the end of the day, they don't want their data to be leaked. Whether the data from Anthem went over to country one or two is probably moot for most people. Vikram, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Matt. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.